Welcome to the Pathlight Ministries podcast. We're glad you've chosen to study God's Word with us. I'm Pastor Chip Anthony, and here's today's message. There's a phrase that's sometimes used in, in Christian circles, and it, it goes like this. Let go and let God. Let go and let God. Um, sometimes people talk about this, and they, they speak of it almost as if it's... You know, scripture. Oh man, you know, so you'll you maybe you're upset. Something's going on in your life, and someone may say, "Hey, let go and let God." Now, uh, it's an interesting phrase. Uh, sometimes people will say that it comes out of out of First uh, Peter that Peter says, "Cast all your cares on Him, for He cares for you." Uh, unfortunately, the idea of let go and let God really takes that idea of casting your cares on Him. Um, to a place that uh, it's really not supposed to go. See, the thing is about let go and let God, um, it, it, it's this idea that you just speak it and sort of whatever it is, he'll just sort of take care of it. Um, and if God wanted to live your life for you, then that would be the perfect philosophy to carry through life. Let me say that again. If God wanted to live your life for you, that would be a perfect philosophy for life. But God does not want to live your life for you. He wants you to live your life for him. It isn't about him somehow taking control of you and making you some sort of religious robot. It is about you surrendering your life before him. It is putting that name of Jesus above all others and living in such a way that, that you prove it. See, um, it isn't let go and let God. In fact, this morning, we're going to look at a pa several passages of Scripture. We're going to start right here in Galatians 5.22. We've been going through the fruit of the Spirit, and this is the next to last week. Next week, we're going to kind of do one last sermon on the fruit of the Spirit. So this is your last week to memorize these two verses. Hopefully, hopefully you've got them by now. So if you have them memorized, I want you to cover your eyes with me, and I'm going to see how many of you cover your eyes. There's like two of you that haven't memorized. Okay, there we go. There's several. All right. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. All right. Yeah, there we go. So that's Galatians 5.22. We've covered each of these elements of the fruit of the Spirit individually from week to week. And this morning, we're going to talk about this idea of self-control, not of of God control where, you know, he, you're just some sort of robot or automaton that God just exercises in the way he wants without any of your input. But what does it mean? How is it that you control yourself in a way that is God honoring, that glorifies him? That's what we want to look at this morning. We're going to start with a passage of scripture from Amos chapter fifth, uh, chapter 15, not Amos chapter 5 as it says there on the screen. Amos chapter 15 verse 14 says this. It says, do what is good and run from evil that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will truly be your helper just as you have claimed he is. And I would say instead of let go and let God, in fact, this morning we're going to look at three different ways that we control ourselves and really kind of exercised in some different parts of our body. And the first one I want to talk about is our feet. And instead of let go and, and let God, I would say get up and get gone, right? I think that's the best first line of defense in controlling yourself is to use your feet to just get gone to just put some daylight between you and different situations. Um, 
it, it's important that we, in certain situations, there's some things that we just need to run away from them. Amos says it perfectly, run from evil. If there is something evil going on in your life, flee from it. In the book of Daniel, um, we have a, or not Daniel, excuse me, in the story of, of Joseph in the book of Genesis, we have a perfect example of this. The story of Joseph, I don't have time to go into a lot of detail on it, but let me summarize it this way. Joseph has been sold into slavery by his brother. He has found himself living in the land of Egypt, far away from home, right? He's living in Egypt, and he has found himself to be um, the sort of the head slave inside of the household of a man who serves Pharaoh. And he is this official, his name's Potiphar, and he is, he's rather important in Egypt at the time. And in part of his, his responsibilities in, in, in running the household for Potiphar, um, Daniel, uh, Joseph, excuse me, Joseph comes into contact with Potiphar's wife. And Potiphar's wife wanted Joseph in a sexual way. She didn't just want him, you know, washing, you know, the sheets and that sort of thing. She wanted to be involved with him. And and Joseph did not want to be involved with her. And this is what Genesis 39 describes it. She caught him by his cloak and said, "Come to bed with me." Right? She she did not mince words. She made it very clear what she wanted with him. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house, right? Like, he did not, he did, I'll I'll just say this. Um, I have given a piece of advice a few times. Um, I had a friend one time that he was trying to break up with his girlfriend, and they would break up, and then a couple of weeks later, they'd get back together, and then they'd break up, and they'd get back together. And then they break up and get back together. And finally, he said, Chip, I just, I just don't know how to break up with this girl. And I said, just say to her, I don't ever want to see you again. It would be so much better for both of you if you were just really, really blunt. De- Joseph cannot get more blunt than this. And neither can she. She says, come to bed with me. And he runs. He doesn't just run. He literally leaves the article of clothing that she is pulling towards the bedchamber. He, he runs out of the house virtually naked, rather than go into the bedroom with this woman. He was pretty clear, wasn't he? Now, there are a lot of different ways that he might have handled this. Right? He could have handled this differently. In fact, some of us might have handled it differently. Joseph certainly could have just given in and said, yes, he could have. He could have because he was a slave. He was a slave, and in this, that day and age, it wouldn't have been you know, wrong for him to have just given in. This was his master's life. He was supposed to obey her. He has actually done what was wrong in that culture by disobeying this woman. So he certainly could have given in and just said, hey, I had no choice. What else was I going to do? He could have given in. He could have used her desire for him and leveraged it in some way. He could have said, you know what, the, the master's wife, wants me, and so I'm going to use this to my advantage later on. He could have leveraged it. He could have even tried to be kind in his resistance, right? He could have said, oh, you don't really want this. You don't really want this. You're, you're confused. You love your husband. You don't want, right? He could have been kind, and he could have tried to sort of smooth things over, but he didn't do any of those things. He ran. How many people do you know 
who have had marriages utterly ruined because they didn't run? How many marriages have you seen that were torn apart because at that first flirtation, they didn't run? They said, you know what? I'm going to leverage this. I, it's just, it's a harmless, it's harmless flirtation. There's nothing, I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm not doing anything sinful. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to kind of play around with this. It gets out of control. Or maybe they just try to handle it kindly, try to handle it kindly. But eventually over time, someone's resistance is worn down. And they do something that they regret. Something that in the first place they would have never done. But you wait long enough. You stay in the situation long enough and your resistance deteriorates. And you find yourself in a place that you never wanted to be. It doesn't have to be that situation of, of infidelity. This is just sort of how sin works. It's just how sin works. It calls you. It tells you that it wants you. It makes itself seem desirable. It makes itself seem like it's something that you really do want. And it works you down. And the key isn't to isn't to just say, hey, what am I going to do? I'm a sinful person. You know, that's my heart. It's wicked. What, what can I do? I'm a slave to my own passions. The answer isn't to try and leverage it or play around with it. The answer isn't to be kind towards it. The answer is to run from it. To not just say, I'm going to let go, but to say, I'm going to get gone. It's important that we control our feet when we face situations of sin. There are maybe some of you here that are in situations that you just need to get out of. You just need to run away from it. Sin may be calling to you, and you just need to say, I never want to see you again. You may have friendships that are dragging you down. You may be in relationships that are literally killing your spirit. You say, I've got to get gone. I need space from you. I need space from this addiction, any space from this sin. First thing to control if you're going to control yourself is to control your feet. The second thing is to control your mouth. James chapter 3 says it pretty well. He says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder. Wherever the will of the pilot directs, so also the tongue of us is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. How great a forest is set ablaze. We've seen lives that have happened, that that's happened to, haven't we? We've seen lives that are set ablaze by a small fire, started by a careless word, started by a hurtful word. See, we can, this passage goes on and talks about this for several more verses. One of the things it says, it says, we contain all sorts of wild beasts. We can we contain lions, we contain bears, we contain all sorts, we can even tame, literally, killer whales can be tamed. But who can tame their tongue? It's hard. It, you probably have an easier time with no experience trying to tame a killer whale than tame a, the human tongue. Even though it's such a small thing, it's so difficult to tame it. And see, sometimes we speak, and the issue isn't just the tongue, it's, it's the heart. 
You know, scripture tells us that as a man sows, so shall he reap. It tells us that, that um, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So a lot of times it's an issue of our hearts. And if your heart's not in the right place, your tongue is never going to be in the right place. If your heart, if you're not loving the Lord, if you're not loving people in the way that you're supposed to, then you're never going to speak to them the way that you're supposed to. We can't because out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaks. But even sometimes when our hearts are in the right place, we say the worst things, right? We do. We, sometimes it just happens. You know, you may have, you may really care about someone, really love someone. You may even, you may even try to give somebody a compliment, and it, mm -hmm, you know what I'm talking about. You try to give somebody a compliment, and it just lands wrong, right? It just lands wrong. Like, like maybe you've, maybe you've told somebody, oh, you got a haircut, and they didn't, they didn't get a haircut. They're just having a bad hair day. Right? They actually just have walked out of their house and they look like a hot mess. And you know that they look like a mess. But instead of saying you look like a mess, you say, oh, you've done something different with your hair. And your heart's in the right place. But your mouth is in the wrong place. So sometimes it's an issue of the heart. Sometimes it's not even an issue of the heart. In fact, in, in speech class, they, they talked about there being noise on the communication channels. You teach this noise in the channel, right? Sometimes there's noise in the channel. Sometimes we will say something, and maybe we don't have a full understanding of what it is that we're saying. Uh, there's a, a video online of a, of a newscaster who's talking to the weather, uh, weather uh, forecaster, the lady, and he says, all right, here's Jane. He says, Jane, uh, let's, before we get into the weather, let's spend some time canoodling, right? And canoodling is not a word that I've maybe ever used, right? It, it means to, like, kiss and hug, right? He thought it meant to make pleasant conversation, right? And she, she answers, she says, no, I am never going to canoodle with you, John. And, and he's like, I'm sorry. Apparently that word doesn't mean what I thought it means, right? Sometimes that's it. Sometimes, like, we just use the wrong word. We just say the wrong thing. It just, sometimes the, the noise comes from ourselves. Sometimes they misunderstand the word. Some, sometimes there can be noise in the channel. Maybe you, in your region, you say one thing. Like we said the other day, uh, Brindley said, crack the window. And I thought, awesome, right? Because she's talking like a Texan, right? She's talking like an Arkansas, right? She's talking like she's from here. She said, crack the window. She didn't say, open the window a little bit. She didn't say roll down the window a little bit. She said, Daddy, crack the window. I'm like, yes, that's right. That's how we talk, right? But if you're from a different place, there can be different ways that you describe things, and that can present some noise in the channel. Sometimes, sometimes it's, it's with the receiver that they don't, that they don't understand something. A few years ago, um, a couple of years ago, I, I, said, I wrote a song, and in the song it said, it talks about the, a river's tide. And I sang this song to a group of, of young of youth, of students, and one of the students came to me and says, hey, listen, uh, I don't know if you know this. And he did this in front of a pretty large group of people. He said, hey, I don't know if you know this, but rivers don't have tides. So I get that you're just trying to rhyme you know, these words together, but rivers don't have tides. And he said it like three or four times, and I ignored it the first couple of times. If it's, if rivers don't have tides. Hey, you know rivers don't have tides, right? And I was like, okay, time Actually, rivers do have tides. Any large enough body of water that has a gravitational effect of the sun and the moon can have tides. But if you really want to talk about tidal constituencies, it's not just the sun and the moon that you have to think about. You have to think about the amphidrophic system of the ocean. You really need to talk about the, you know, the current, the, co uh, the coastal shape. You really need to know about uh, the near shore bathymetry if you want to talk about tides. Now, did you really want to talk about tides? Because I know a thing or two about tides. 
Now, he was wanting to look smart, and so he said it a couple of times, and I was wanting eventually to just not look dumb. And what started off as a conversation that started just like right here between two people, these two people ended up like this. Right? There was noise. There's some noise in the, our communication. He liked me. I liked him. Maybe it was the wrong day. Maybe it was just the wrong issue. Maybe I'm just really sensitive about tides. I don't know. But something in that, confront, that conversation became a confrontation. And, and my tongue and his tongues just led us apart. We have to be careful to try and control our tongues. Sometimes there are situations that you just can't run out of. There's some situations you, you've, got, you've got to stand where you are. You've got to stay where you are. Certain relationships, certain people in your life, that, that they need you. They need you, and you can't run away. And when you're in that situation, we've got to be careful about the things that we say. That's when we've got to put everything that we say under control. We've got to make sure that the things that we say fall in line with the things that God says. We've got to control our tongues. But not only do we need to control our feet and to control our mouths, we need to control our minds. Philippians 4, 8 says this. It says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Some of you have been deployed uh, with the military to foreign countries far, far from home. And I've not been that there myself, but I'm told that there is maybe nothing as, as great as receiving a letter or a package from home when you're far away. Michael, you got, when you were deployed, did anybody write you? Okay, I wrote you once. And I sent you a care package. Tell me something. How much money if, would it take for me to buy one of those letters from you without you ever getting to read it? Right? He shakes his head and he's like, like no, there's not, there's not an amount of money that you take for it. Because when you're in the midst of a trial like that, you need to have a place that your mind can go. You need to have a place that you can think about that is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely. You need to have, have a place that your mind can go. Because there's some situations you can't run out of, certain situations that there's nothing that you can say that's going to make any difference. And in those situations, we need to control our minds. We need to set our minds on things that are true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable, things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Your situation is, you know, none of you are deployed in a foreign combat zone right now, but your situation may feel that way. You may feel like you're being attacked. You may feel like you are surrounded by enemies. And there may not be anywhere that you can run. There may not be anything that you can say to make things better. And when you're in that spot, you have to control your mind. You have to control your thoughts. You have to say, I understand that all around me, it looks like the, my world is falling apart. But I'm going to choose to think on things that are lovely. I'm going to choose to think on things that are excellent, that are praiseworthy. Even though this situation is so far from ideal, I'm going to choose to think about things that are wonderful. I'll go back to Amos. 
started this morning by talking, by reading a passage from Amos. I want to read that one more time. Do what is good and run from evil that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will truly be your helper, just as you have claimed he is. See, it isn't a matter of, of just letting go and letting God. It's a matter of putting yourself, of submitting yourself to what God has called you to do. Submitting your, your behavior to who God has called you to be. To behaving in such a way of controlling yourself. So that it's not just you're just giving God complete control. God is going to do what he's going to do. But he has set aside certain things for you to do. He has set aside things for me to do. He doesn't want to live my life for me. He wants me to live my life for him. And we can't do that if we can't control ourselves. But if we can, if you're one of the people who can find self-control, who can run from evil, who can control your mouth, who when things are around you look so desperate, you can even dwell on the things that are lovely and excellent and pure. If you can control your mind, then the Lord God Almighty will be your helper. He won't be the one holding the controls of the robot. He'll be your helper. He will help you. He will do the things that he can do and the things that only he can do to help you, just as you you have claimed that he is. Thank you for listening to Pathlight. I hope that this message has been a blessing to you and that you will be a blessing to others.